uh, as a message or a part of the message, but it reminded me of some things that we need to think about. I'm sure there have been times when all of us have felt exactly like that. All of these things are against me. In other words, we, uh, we feel like that the world has come to an end. We've got a problem that we can't solve, a need that we can't meet. And the problem is a lot of people, though, instead of just recovering from that state of distress, go on living that way. In other words, it becomes a pattern. It becomes a habit. It's just the way they are, and they live every day of their life as though all of these things are against me, and they are in constant need of encouragement. They're unlike David, who the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we've got to learn to do that because this thing of needing encouragement is a serious problem. God has a work for all of us to do, regardless of who we are. God has a work for you. You are somebody special in the sight of God. Not because of your great value, not because that you've done something that is just wonderful. Uh, it's not because you can add anything to God. You are special because God has a plan, a perfect plan, and that plan is that He might use us to reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved and know the glory of their sins forgiven and having a home in heaven. And so God wants to use all of us. But if we spend most of our time needing to be encouraged, then it robs us of the time that we could spent, uh, be spent in being a blessing to other people. And so if, if we're always distracted or discouraged, we're going to end up being derelict in our duty. And let me tell you, speaking from a pastor's perspective, I can tell you that a good number of people uh, go through life needing to be encouraged, and pastors have to spend time on trying to keep them on track, trying to keep them pumped up, trying to keep them excited. Now, I realize there are occasions where we all need that. There's nobody here that is so strong, so spiritual, so good that you never need anyone to encourage you. We all need encouragement, but that need should not be so great that there's no reason why so many people ought to be discouraged when we have such a great God. And here's what's happened. Basically, we have made the church the mission field. In other words, we spend all of our time taking care of ourselves. And, and, and by the way, that's, that's part of the ministry of the church, that we might minister one to another. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we do, then we're not doing our job. Think about a company, for example, where 90% of the employees spend 90% of their time on sick leave. What would happen? Wouldn't be long before that company would be out of business. You cannot operate a company where 90% of the people are gone 90% of the time. 
And, and I'm telling you that is exactly why every year there are literally thousands of churches, and I'm not talking about just churches in general, I'm talking about thousands of Baptist churches every year that close their doors, that go out of business. And I think the number one reason is they've turned their focus inward instead of outward. That's why we have the little sign out there that says, as you leave the building, you are now entering the mission field. Because when we walk out that door, we need to do so with a sense of purpose, knowing that God has a mission for us. So every one of us should strive to serve rather than being served. No, that doesn't mean that we never need someone to serve us and to help us. We certainly do. And we ought to help one another. I think Paul really explains this in, in Galatians chapter number 6 and about those first, well, all the way down through verse number 10. You don't need to turn there, but I'll give you something to think about. He tells us that there are burdens that we are to share. Share one another's burdens. And then he tells us that there are burdens we are to bear. He says, let every man bear his own burden. In other words, let him take care of his own business. Let him solve his own problems. Let him work through his own difficulties. Don't put that on somebody else. You take care of yourself. That's the idea there. So there are burdens that we're to share. Burdens that we are to bear ourselves without seeking somebody else to always be helping us. And then he speaks about burdens that we can neither bear nor share. And just burdens that we have to carry. That's a part of life itself. And so all of us need to understand that we have a responsibility to fulfill God's will for our life. We cannot afford to get to the place where we feel, as Jacob did, all of these things are against me, and to feel that way all of the time. So I think there's some important truths that we can learn from this story, and I want you to look at these tonight because I guarantee you, there will be some time in your life where you're going to, you know, you're going to have a bad week. Every day is going to seem like Blue Monday and you just can't get going and you get one bad news after another and nothing is going right. And that's the way Jacob felt. I want you to think about his dilemma and actually to get the story we need to read verses 1 through 35. And we're not going to do that because most of you are somewhat familiar with the story of Jacob And you know what happened. Uh, For more than 20 years, Jacob had lived with the heartbreaking belief that his son Joseph was dead. Can you imagine the shock it must have been to his system when all of the other boys came in? For you kids that maybe don't know the story, you'll remember that his his brothers had sold him into slavery. First they dug a pit, threw him down in the pit, and then they sold him into slavery. And so when they go back home, they took his coat and dipped it in some blood and went back home and said, Look here, Daddy, some wild beast ate up Joseph. He's dead. He's gone. And uh, so Jacob is living with this for 20 years, living with the thought that his son had been devoured by some wild animal. For those of you that have children, you know how difficult it must be to deal with that. Well, after that, 20 years has passed, and now there's a great drought in the land. They don't have anything to eat. 
And, and believe me, when you're the head of the family like Jacob was, and you know that it's your responsibility to take care of your family, you can't put any beans on the table, you can't feed your family, that wears on you. And that's where they're at. They don't have anything to eat. But they, they hear about, down in, down in Egypt, some man down there who is now evidently what we might call the prime minister of Egypt, and that they have been blessed and they have storehouses full of food. So he sends his boys down to Egypt, all of the boys except Benjamin, uh, he keeps at home. And so he sends them down into Egypt, and now the sons have returned with the supplies. And, and you think, okay, everything's all right now. We've got food to eat, but the news isn't all good. Because they have been accused of being spies... And Simeon, one of the brothers, is being held hostage there in, in, in Egypt. Now, you know the story, of course, how that Joseph, you know, in recognizing them, and he set this all up, and naturally this is a plot, a plan, for him to eventually be reunited with his father. And so they come back and they tell their father that they have to return to Egypt with the youngest son, Benjamin, in order to verify the story. Because when they went down there, they told Joseph, whom they didn't recognize as their own brother, and they tell him this story, you know, that, you know, we've got all of these brothers, and one one is dead. He is not speaking of Joseph, speaking to Joseph about Joseph and not knowing it. And uh, Benjamin was the youngest, and it so happens that Benjamin and Joseph had the same mother. And so naturally, Joseph is very, you know, concerned about... Uh, about Benjamin, and so he says, okay, I'm going to give you this food, and I want you to go back and tell your daddy that you can have more food, but you've got to bring Benjamin with you. But there was another problem that complicated this thing. When they opened up the sacks of grain, they found a bundle of money in every sack. In other words, it appeared that they had stolen money while they were there. And so, by all appearance, they are thieves. Now, think about being on the horns of that dilemma. I mean, if you want more food, which you have to have to survive, you not only have to go back and take your baby brother back into Egypt, but you have to go back there, and in your own mind, you're thinking... I have to face the charges of this money being in my sack. I know we don't know how it got there, but they're going to think that we're thieves. And so Jacob at this point is in jeopardy of losing absolutely everything. So to sum it up in a nutshell, Jacob at this point thinks, I have a problem that cannot be solved. And it's in that frame of mind, he says, all these things are against me. Now, that's the dilemma. But look in verse 36, and here you see his despair. All of these things are against me. Somebody said instead of calling it Murphy's Law, we ought to call it Jacob's Law. And and there might be something to that. Let me tell you, I don't want to minimize his problems in any way whatsoever, and neither do I want to excuse his faults. But I'm telling you, there's some things that we can learn from his experience, lessons that will help us. Jacob felt sorry for himself. I guess you could say that Jacob's song was 
was, no one loves me. This I know, for my troubles tell me so. And, and this is the frame of mind he's in. Nobody cares anything about me. All of these things are against me. And mark it down. When we start feeling that way, we're headed for trouble. We're not only in trouble, we're headed for more serious trouble. And, and notice what his despair caused him to do. I want you to notice three things. Number one, he starts by, by blaming others. He says, me have ye bereaved of my children. And so he's, he's blaming others. And that's one of the most common reactions to our problems, right? We want to blame somebody else. Now, look, they might be, they might be somewhat responsible for our problem. But just blaming them for it as though that's going to solve it is not really going to help. You know, well, I've got this problem because of. And so he starts out by blaming others. Me have ye, in other words, it's your fault, you have bereaved me of my children. The next thing he does is to imagine the worst. In other words, he is, he is exaggerating the problem in his, without really knowing it. Notice he says, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. The truth of the matter is, both of them are alive and doing just fine. Joseph is the prime minister in Egypt. He's the dude that has the key to the storehouses there. He's the man in charge. He's doing just fine. But Jacob thinks he's dead. And then, of course, Simeon, he thinks, I'll never see old Simeon again. And so, you know, it, it's like it's like all of this is getting blown out of proportion in his mind. Folks, that's what happens to us so many times. You know, we, 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 we've got a problem, and I mean, it's a real problem. It's a genuine problem. It's a painful problem. And after a while, it just starts growing in our mind, and we come to the conclusion, well, I don't have anything to live for. I mean, the world is so bad. The world is so terrible. I hurt so bad. We don't have anything to live for. And we start blowing everything out of proportion. We forget about all of the great promises that God has given in the Bible, and we begin to exaggerate our problems. So he's exaggerating the problem. He's blaming others. And then notice in verse number 38, he makes a rash statement. And he said, My son shall not go down with you. Benjamin, in other words, is not going. You're not taking him. I've lost enough. You're not taking Benjamin. You know, we've got to be really careful about making statements concerning things that we won't do. Have you ever said, I know I have. There have been times I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. You better be careful about saying that. I never thought I'd live in Texas. <laughs> but I've been here a pretty good spell now. And like I told someone else here, here a while back, I plan to die here. I don't plan to leave Texas. I found it. I'm not going to lose it. I'm going to stay right here. But it's really not Texas. It's Lakeway Baptist Church. That's the thing that makes me want to be here. But the whole thing is we... We oftentimes, when we're going through problems, we make rash statements. And in all of this, what we see is actually a lack of faith on Jacob's part. And it's obvious that his eyes are on the problem instead of God. And that always makes matters worse. 
But it happens to us, right? We're so blinded by the problem that we forget about the greatness of God. So here he is in this dilemma, and we notice that in this dilemma that he's in, things go from bad to worse because now he has, he has the wrong mindset about all of this. But notice his decision here in verse number 38. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now there's three things about this decision. It tells us about his state of mind. In other words, he's discouraged, he's bitter, and he's fearful. Let me tell you, that's never a good time to make a major decision. Whenever you're all stressed out because of some problem, that's not the time for you to make a major decision in your life here. And he's basing all of his assumptions on reasoning and on his personal feelings instead of living by faith and trusting God. You see, everything everything is just running out of order, as it were, and the problem's growing bigger and bigger in his mind. So we see his state of mind. But notice this troubled him more because, it, for one thing, it delayed, it delayed their return for more supplies. They could have been on their way back already. Now, remember, people are going hungry. Their cattle have died, and people are going hungry, uh, starving to death. And, and they need more food. They've got to go back there to get it. But instead of being en route back to Egypt to get more food, here we find that it's all delayed because of this very problem. He's convinced that everything is against him, and he's not going to budge. He's not going to move. He's not going to cooperate. And so it delays their return. But secondly... It increased the length of Simeon's imprisonment. The one son, Simeon, he's imprisoned, as it were, at least in captivity, back in, uh, back in Egypt. And, and every day that they're delaying is another day that he has to stay in captivity. And then without Jacob even knowing it, in all of this, it was delaying his reunion with Joseph. He, of course, he thinks Joseph is dead. But we know, of course, that Joseph was very much alive and that they were going to be reunited. What, what do you think that Jacob would have thought if he would have suddenly discovered, my son Joseph is there and he is alive? I'll tell you, he would have dropped everything like a hot potato. I mean, he would have had the attitude, I don't care if this costs me my life. I'm going down into Egypt and get my son. I want to go see my boy again before I die. And so while he's going through all of this turmoil, all of this distress, feeling that the whole world is against him, he is just delaying the blessing that God wants him wants him. To enjoy. And in all of this story, it teaches us, I think, what we should and what we shouldn't do. So let me just share with you some thoughts based on this things that we should, things we shouldn't do. Number one, don't panic. Things are never as bad as they seem, they're not. 
things could always be worse. And I know you can think of the worst case scenario. You can think, oh my, you know, I, well, I don't want to make a list. Just use your imagination. And, and, and you begin to visualize things that you think in your mind, this is as bad as it could get. No, it's not. No, it's n- n- not, not unless it involves dying and going to hell without Christ. That's as bad as it can get. But anything short of that, you see, is better than what we deserve. Are you listening? I say anything short of that is better than what we deserve because none of us deserve the blessings that we have. None of us deserve our next bite of food. None of us deserve the clothes that are on our back. Everything we have is the result of God's grace. And we've got to be careful that when we find ourselves in a difficult situation that we don't panic because when we panic, we end up making matters worse than they are because what we do is act on our feelings instead of acting on the facts and living by faith. You know, we feel this is what we ought to do, and we do it. And it's wrong. Don't panic. Secondly, accept what you can't change. There are a lot of things in life you can't control and you can't change. And I don't care how hard you try, you can't change. We talked this morning about getting past the past. We talked about, you know, getting focused on forging our future and what have you. There are going to be a lot of things come against you that you cannot change and things you can't do anything about. And the only way that we're going to survive is by getting to that place that we are willing to accept the things that we cannot change. David did that. You remember when David's little baby was sick? Boy, I'll tell you, if anything will drive you to your knees, it's having a sick kid. Especially when you know they're sick to the point that they are about to die. Even if you haven't been being serious about prayer, you'll get serious then. Because you love that child and you want to see that child restored to health. And so David is fasting and David is praying and David is confessing and he's broken hearted. And then the little baby dies, and what happens? He gets up, he washes his face, and he goes on his way, and he said, I can't bring him back, but I can go to him. You see, David got to that place that in his mind, that I am willing to accept what I cannot change. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've talked to men and to women who were going through marital problems, and, uh, you know, it might be, for example, that one of them was having an affair or there was a problem and they were almost divorced or, or, or whatever. And I've heard them tell me, I'll just do anything to save my marriage. I'll just, you know, I, I'll, I'll live for God. I'll serve God. I'll do anything that I can to save my marriage. And I always have exactly the same question. And what are you going to do if she doesn't come back? What, what are you going to do then? Because that, look, folks, that tells the story right there. Are, are you going to quit living? Are you going to give up on life? Are, are you going to stop serving God all because things don't work out? Things are not always going to work out like they should. And a lot of times that we have to live with the pain. It, it's kind of like the, the, the man I read about. His wife had died recently, and so he, he said, well, I guess I'll just have to accept it. And his wise pastor said to him, he said, no, 
He said, you can fight it, you can oppose it, you can resent it, and you can go to your grave feeling that a terrible injustice has been done to you. Now, you, you can, you see. And that's what a lot of people do. You know, what's happened to me is so unfair, it's so painful, it's so terrible, it's so horrible. And we let that enslave us for the rest of our life and rob us of our joy and rob us of our peace. And there, there comes a time in life that we have to accept what we can't change. You know, we don't always have a choice in what happens to us, but we have a choice in how we deal with it. So, number one, don't panic. Number two... Accept what you can't change. And by the way, when I say accept it, I don't mean to give up prematurely. I don't mean to just throw in the towel and quit. Oh, well, I can't do anything about it. No, we ought to do our very best to make things as they ought to be. But there comes a time when even your very best doesn't put a marriage back together Even your very best doesn't pay your bills. Even your very best doesn't heal your body. You're stuck with a problem that you can't solve. And it's then, it's then that you have to learn to accept whatever's happened in your life. And then the difficult thing, maybe more so than any, is that we must not allow ourselves to wallow in self-pity. Because self-pity is like quicksand, and the more that you struggle, the deeper that you sink. It's like a cancer that's eating away at your body. And you either cut it out, or finally, it ends up destroying you. And we see that again and again. I think about Job and the situation that he was in. And remember, Job has gone through all of this, although he hasn't done anything wrong. He was just above all of the men on the earth. I mean, here is a man, and in fact, look, this isn't my idea. God tells us that, that there was no, you know, justification, as it were, for him being tortured as he was. And here's a fellow that lost everything. His business is gone. His family is gone. Think about that. All of the kids have been killed, and then his wife turns against him, and then his body is smitten with this horrible disease, and there are these open, putrefying sores all over his body, and he's sitting out on, the, on an ash heap, scraping his, his sores. It's all gone. And yet in all this, the Bible says, Job did not curse God. His wife told him to, just curse God and die. You'd be better off dead than alive. But in all of this, you see, he was willing to accept what he could not change. And then number four, we've got to be careful that we don't lose our perspective as to what is really important. And it's so sad that so many people... When things go wrong, they want to quit serving God. And we've got to remember what is most important and keep doing what God wants us to do. And so many times there will be a problem in the church. And by the way, when I say a problem in the church, I mean, I've got to confess there are certain times that people get mistreated. Really. They get abused or they get neglected in some way. God's people are not perfect. As much as I love this church, you know, it's not a perfect church. It doesn't have a perfect pastor. And there are going to be times that people are going to offend you, people are going to hurt you. 
But, but inevitably, it seems, the first thing that people want to do is quit on God. And they drop out of church. I mean, you would think from their reaction that everybody in church threw stones at them last week. You would think that everybody took turns with a big old whip and put a lash on their back. But in reality, it was one member that got them all upset. And they're going to leave the church and they're going to quit on God all because of the injustice of one person. I'm telling you what, as far as I'm concerned, that makes you worse than that person. For somebody to give up on God, for somebody to throw in the towel and say, I'm going to stop serving God because of what somebody else did, it tells me that you don't have much character. Don't you ever quit just because I fall or because I fail. Don't you lose your perspective because of difficulties in your life. If we do that, we end up majoring on minors. And we've got to keep our focus on what is really important. And there's so much that could be said about this because whenever we think about the story of, 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 of Jacob, remember, God, look, this is not just the story of a man. It's not just the story of a family. This is the story of a nation. This is the nation that God raised up out of the loins of Abraham to represent him among all of the nations on the earth. We're talking about the children of Israel here. So this is much more important than a man or more important than one family. It's God's chosen nation. And he needed to keep his his perspective straight in regards to their purpose for being. God never said it'd be easy. But God promised His grace would be sufficient. And that brings us to the last thing, and that is when we feel like all of these things are against us, we need to trust God. Because if we trust God, no situation is hopeless. With God, all things are possible. And in in Jacob's case, think about it now, God is using all of these bad things for what? To accomplish something good. I want you to listen to what Joseph said over in chapter 45. This is when his brothers return now. They've gone back. Jacob said it wasn't going to happen, but it did. They were forced out of necessity. They had to return for food. And so they get back there. And Joseph said, verse 7, And God sent me before you. Wait a minute. God sent me? Really? It was his brothers that threw him in the pit. It was his brothers that sold him into slavery. It was his brothers who lied to their daddy and said that he's dead. And notice he said, God sent me. Do you get that? I mean, as horrible and terrible, as unjust as that was... He is saying that God did it. You see, nothing ever happens that God doesn't, either God causes it or God allows it. Nothing can come into your life that God doesn't cause or allow. So he said to them, God sent me before you, and notice the reason, to preserve a posterity, that is uh, the offsprings and the family, and make a heritage. A posterity in the earth 
to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, chapter 50, verse 19. They go back, he sends them back to bring daddy and the whole family this time. Oh, I love that story. He loads down these wagons and sends them back and he's revealed who he is by this time. Can you imagine being in their sandals that day that Joseph looked at them and said to them, I'm Joseph, your brother. I'm the one you put in the pit. I'm the one you sold into slavery. (laughs) They had to think, oh, oh, the jig's up and it's off with our heads now. Instead of doing that, he sent them back, said, I want you to go back home and get Daddy. And they went back, and the Bible says, and when he saw the wagons, he saw the evidence that his son was still alive. When he saw the wagons, and they loaded up. But look look at what he says, verse number 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, for am I in the place of God? Question mark. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Remember, Jacob said, all these things are against me. Many, many years later, the Apostle Paul said, If God be for us, who can be against us? Jacob, all these things are against me. Paul, if God be for us, who can be against us? Jacob felt that everything was working for bad in his life. But Paul said, and we know, that all things the good and the bad and the ugly. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. He didn't say everything in life was going to be easy. He didn't say everything in life is going to be good. But our God is so great that He can take the very worst things imaginable and bring some good out of it. Aren't you glad that you serve a God like that. He, he takes all of this bad stuff. You, you know, you think about making a cake. I haven't made very many cakes, by the way, but I've watched Bev, you know, and you put the flour in the bowl and you put uh, a, an egg in the bowl and uh, a little vanilla in it. And if it's chocolate, you put some chocolate in it and all of these different ingredients. And none of those ingredients would be good alone, Right? I mean, I've, I've never in my life sat around and, you know, ate flour by just giving me a spoonful of flour. Uh, I've, I've never done that. And uh, I haven't eaten any raw eggs since I was a teenager trying to become, you know, Mr. Universe. And that didn't work, so I quit eating raw eggs. But uh, the ingredients aren't good. And, and a lot of bad stuff's going to happen to you. 
But the wonderful thing is that God takes all of those bad things and uses it for some good in our life. The next time that that you're feeling that all of these things are against me, everything is wrong, nothing's going right in my life, I hope that the Holy Spirit will remind you of what we've talked about tonight and that you'll be able to recall how that God used that situation to save that nation, literally save that nation as they go down into Egypt and as they enjoy all of the bounty that Joseph, a man who had been mistreated, now is providing for them. Boy, I'll tell you, God is good, and He's good all of the time. And even when bad stuff happens in our life, if we maintain the right attitude, God will use it all to work together for our good. Let's stand. Father, we thank you tonight for the wonderful promises that Peter described as being exceedingly great and precious. And Lord, tonight we come before your throne of grace clinging to those promises because we know that each and every one here tonight, probably before this week is over, will have to face some some trial, some affliction, some temptation, some difficulty. And Lord, we know that just being flesh, that we're going to be tempted to despair. We're going to be tempted to become bitter and resentful and to complain and maybe, maybe even just quit. And God, remind us again and again and again that you are in control, that nothing ever just happens, and that that you're not only willing, but that you're able to take the very worst things that we can imagine and make something good and something wonderful and something helpful out of them. Help us to never accuse you of wrongdoing, but to realize that everything that happens, you either caused it or you allowed it. Even if it was sinful, vile, and ugly, and wrong, you allowed it. You didn't approve of it, but you allowed it to happen. And Lord, help us to not blame you, but rather to trust your wisdom. We don't understand the reason why these bad things happen. But Lord, help us to know that you have a plan, a perfect plan. And even, Lord, whenever we can't, we're not able to to trace your hand and the way it's working in our life. Help us to trust your heart, knowing that you'll never do us wrong. For we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.